Just a quick message before the show begins. We're a year in now and I've really enjoyed doing this and I hope you've been enjoying it too. If you have, then please like and share the content and get in touch with any thoughts and feedback and hopefully we can keep growing the show and getting more incredible guests. Thanks and back to the show. I'm Adam Gow, the DJ formerly and sometimes currently known as Wax On. Welcome to the Once A DJ podcast. DJing and DJ culture have been a huge part of my life for better or worse. They've given me a massive buzz at times and loads of stress at others and taught me a load of valuable lessons along the way. On this podcast, I speak to DJs from around the world who've made the names when it was just about skills and selection, not social media followers. We'll discuss their journey through Ascendancy and what part it plays in their life now, whether they're still on the scene, said goodbye to the decks forever, or still get a sneaky mix in when life gives them the chance. Whatever road they've travelled, they were always once a DJ. Um, so welcome back to Once a DJ, everyone, and welcome Kieran Hadley, aka DJ Baboon, aka Signwriter Extraordinaire Bab Sabbath, and nice to see you in person here at um, TYX Studios in Wakefield. Uh, thanks for coming down here. You're very welcome. It's a good spot. Yeah, it's nice, and thanks to George for setting it up for us. Really appreciate that. Um, so let's kick off like we always do, and do you just want to start us by telling us how you got into music in the first place and DJing? <laughs> So, I've been trying to work this out. I've been trying to find those like seminal moments, and I think it goes back to my brother's friend, which I think is a lot of people's story, mm. right? Uh, called Sam Wingrave, who was ended up being Russell Brand's tour DJ. He played like sort of go-go funk, like breaks stuff, right? Way back so when I was fourteen, so ninety something. He's playing go-go? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, like just interesting stuff. But he let me just have a go playing. It was something off that blow-up comp. Remember those blow-up comps? It's like sort of French funk thing. Wonderful. Oh, nice. And like all the early Mowax stuff. I was just like, ah, there we go. That's, that's it. And then every five quid pocket money was a 12-inch at the record shop. And if I could have maintained the consistency of those first, like, four or five records, if I had a collection that was that good, when I got to 4,000, it was, like, DJ Crush, DJ Shadow Double A-Side, and, like, Kruder and Dorfmeister stuff, and Bomb the Bass. And mm. I was just, like, spent so long with only five quid. But, yeah, I think you've hit <laughs> something there, and it, it depends what DJing becomes to you because you get the people where they've just got to get the thing that's current and I feel quite lucky that in my musical journey as soon as I started learning about samples that was me I was just looking backwards all the way like I'd always yeah. been to older music been into older music anyway but what I found with that was that I've always been pretty bad with what's current and yeah. I, I continue to be and this is why I wouldn't be a very good function open format DJ professionally. Yeah, I tried I just, that. It, just, it wasn't a good look. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't concentrate. Like Some people make a really good living and really enjoy it, but I, I'm too bothered about the stuff in the past. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you were the guy that's like, I just need to have the newest thing, sometimes the shelf life that they've got is really, really short, so you do end up with a lot. I mean, I found it when I was buying new hip-hop. I'd go into certain shops 
and you'd kind of get sold I was quite easy at, at certain points to, to get sold into what they were run what they needed to get rid of yeah I think and go they'd tell you with this sort of confidence that this is a good song and you go alright yeah cool nice one then you end up with two copies of it it's not very good for juggling with and <laughs> you, you don't really like it anyway yeah but yeah like you say when you've when you've got that that first bit of money and you just like you just want the best it's like it never because it just gets more and more diluted over time and you know mm. I've got a great record collection but just when I had like 10 and they were all bangers like they were all just beautiful and yeah. you remember like what order you got them in and you've got nothing else so you play them again and again and again yeah I remember playing certain DJ sets when I probably only had about 60 records yeah. maybe less and you're absolutely killing it because just everything that you've got you know really well and you really love it and you did some wicked gigs and then you go out and you've got this this bigger sort of collection with you and you can kind of overthink it or get the paralysis of oh I should have played that should I not play that mm. whereas when you've got this little selection you're just like right bang 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 I mean, I I did thrive when I started Serato early on because my ADHD was just loving it. I could just bounce mm. into anything at any point. And if I'd wanted to go down like an hour of Bollywood sample stuff in a busy bar, I'm, just, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm just going to do whatever my brain tells me to do. Yeah. Uh, and just chase down interesting things or just play, you know, like... 60s white funk music and I'd have a season or I'd be obsessed with like chasing down a thing and finding everything yeah and I didn't get a lot more gigs but (laughs) (laughs) so when did you start so if you started DJing at about 14 did you have Mm. did you get decks quickly or yeah I got decks when I was like 15 DLP 3s sound lab direct drive yeah nice yeah yeah and a little Gemini something I want to say like 323 like the little Gemini 2 channel black and orange mm. boy so did you start learning to scratch with that yeah. setup yeah on the floor on my knees just figuring it out so I'd seen like Northwest Tonight had a thing with the scratch perverts on incongruously where I think it was like first rate stood on Mr. Thing's shoulders cutting and them doing like body <laughs> tricks and stuff and I was 14, 15 I was like holy crap that's the best thing I've ever seen yeah, and then but... a DJ from Manchester called Sparrow that used to play on six turntables oh he was God. on the news but it's like those little fragments of things that you can find and then like DMC videos yeah I remember when I first heard about Kid Koala it was a guy um a guy called Alex Crowther. I don't know if you ever came across him in Leeds. And how I remember it now is almost like him going, there's this guy, right, Kid Koala, records music on like 13 turntables. <laughs> and that's what I had in my head, that somehow he was doing all this stuff live and, and it was just like this folklore like Your thing teenage brain just loves it. You're like, what, one more turntable than everyone else? That means it must be like yeah. one turntable better. I suppose... Just scratch, 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 scratch. Yeah, mix. like when you... When... That Ninja Tune one. I think when you get into battle DJing, they're almost like superheroes. Oh, they were for me, for sure. Mixmaster Mike is still the pinnacle of like super, and he knows it. Like, yeah, he has that superhero persona, and I'm like, I'm down for it. Like, it's just yeah. all time favorite for, for just that, for bombast and stupid body tricks. And like, I was talking to Michael about it, and he's like, "There's 14 year olds that could paste him in a battle." 
but they couldn't do in, what he does. But they couldn't do what they, you know, he just does very fast scratching, and it's just he's just himself. He's a hundred percent mixmaster Mike. Yeah, there's no one like, like him. There's loads of stuff he couldn't keep up with, but I do not give the tiniest shit. Like he's just wonderful. He's such a joy to watch. Yeah, and I think, I think what you get with the with, with young kids that are that are doing this or any sort of other art form where, where you get these sort of prodigies that are doing something that's creative young mm. you're doing it without this life experience that i think even with something like scratching for example it can it can inform how you do it and what you do mm. and because i think a lot of the time you'll get it with like the sport parents as well that right. will teach so they'll, they'll be kind of pushing the kid into doing this thing and the kid will be technically incredible but they've been taught someone else's style. Okay, yeah. I think you get it with b-boying as well. Like I used to DJ a few battles and you'd get these kids and sometimes they'll be doing really kind of adult sort of gestures and things like that that you're like... But they've never been in a battle. They've never understood battling as a proxy for fighting in the real world. Yeah. Which is, you know, like you don't have to go that far back for those gestures to mean something very different like they were a way of substituting actually punching someone in the face or yeah. swinging a chain and it's even and just like, um, it, yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of gesturing isn't there there was but, a lot of kids who could also like you know do air tracks at 12 but they had no funk yeah like they were entirely funkless they weren't even really listening to the music they were just doing routines and then you, you get older heads that you know their back's gone a little bit and they can't do everything but they've got so much funk Exactly, yeah. So, well, yeah, when you see, you'll see a b boy who dances to the music, <coughs> or b girl, sorry, and then you'll see the ones that are just like, right, I need to do my set of moves. But you get that mm. with scratching as well, don't you? You'll see yeah. people put a scratch fit up, and it's like, right, I've got to do my 75 click flares, <laughs> and they'll do them for three bars, and then they'll do a bar of whatever else, 76 yeah. click flare orbits and stuff. And it's, it, it becomes like an endurance sport. Yeah. rather than music I was entirely taken in by that for a while, I thought it was mm. just the best you know, that sort of like shortcut yoga frog style of just super intense mega techie scratching and then saw some like music college funk bands and had that sort of epiphany where you're like, ah you're basically masturbating on stage like really that's what's happening is you're just going like pew yeah, like I call and that like, like technical funk. Yeah, and it's like there's, you know, there's no, again, there's no funk, there's no, like, joy in it even, it's just technique. Yeah, yeah. So, just going back to your timeline then, are you from Leeds originally? Lancaster. Lancaster, oh, okay. So what was it like getting any further exposure then? Like, was there much of a community around DJing? Or? No, there was... Like a couple of my friends were in a similar sort of had a drum machine, had some turntables, made some stuff on Amigas, whatever. And then, <coughs> like, nearly all of them came over to Leeds. Sort of over three years, everyone just moved over. And some of them went to music college. A lot of sort of, yeah, like DJ transplants were around that sort of party scene. Mm. But I think, like, a lot of the other people around me weren't hip hop guys. They were like sort of tech house free party yeah. people. Like but that's the guy that I got my turntables from 
the Technics that I got when I came here, they were from that sort of world that had already been to a million free parties. Were they absolutely battered then? Yeah. They're still running on there. I've still got them. That's mad. Yeah, um, I realise that mine are 20 odd years old now. Yeah, mine'll be. I mean, yeah, they're Mark IIs, but they were old when I got them. 200 mm. quid. Um, but yeah, then slowly sort of found Leeds hip hop people. Michael was teaching classes at a little tiny community place down at the bottom of Leeds, uh, Hyde Park. And then there was like Mattman, Elefino. I used to put on um, like a Saturday afternoon hip hop thing in the Merrion Centre in the same place as the only surviving goth night in Leeds, which was <laughs> hilarious. So the goths were in after us on Saturday. Is the Merrion Centre where, because obviously with... Like Leeds was an important place in the first wave of hip hop in mm. the UK. Was it the Merrion Centre where they used to do stuff back in the eighties? Yeah, it's like the Merrion Centre. So the club in there and the Faversham were like the birthplace of goth, mm. I guess. But Elefino was like fourteen when he started coming down, so we had to smuggle him in to play. And Tim and his mate weren't officially allowed in, but they were tall, and we got away with it. And it must have been good then to be worth getting smuggled always in. Always banging absolutely banging like great he's like I I tend to kick back when people talk about talent because I don't really believe it's a thing but occasionally you just get someone like that where they're just getting an NPC and within two months you're like right my album's ready you know oh is it yeah you just learn how to use it and finished like can you expand on that then well I get like I get people when I'm painting and either flippantly or not they'll say talented and I always make a point of being like no like I'm not talented like I, I don't believe that's the thing and there's loads of people that were better than me I just kept doing it like a, and you know with scratching there's occasionally I've met people that just had an intrinsic ability to pick things up fast and that wasn't me either but just sticking to it just carrying on doing it like life is long you keep doing something regularly and you get less shit yeah. I think my philosophy is something around the lines of just work on being a bit less crap each time you do something. It's yeah, th- th- there's like I think there is such a thing as talent, but like I definitely take your point that some people with like talent doesn't mean success. No, you know, like the most talented people I know are very, very few of them actually break through and do something with it. Like the people with raw, like processing mm. power, genius people that I've met, most of them. Do, you, do minimum wage jobs. And do you think it's because they don't appreciate what they've got? Yeah. It's just like, you know, like it's just breathing. It's just there. You can do it. You get it a lot with footballers. Yeah. You get you know, like... They're, they're full I mean, of promise and just have, make bad decisions where you get like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's obviously skillful, but has just worked and worked and worked and worked to become yeah. what he became. Yeah. Like I taught uh, coach basketball when I was teaching and you got kids who were just preposterously good. They were built for it. They had unlimited energy. They were just great. They picked everything up quick, but they didn't have that thing that pushed them into going and joining Leeds Tigers or whatever. Yeah. And it's like a work ethic that's the main thing. It's like the reason the Filipino kids were smashing it and potentially going to be professional athletes was because they just had that mm. like focus and drive and a bit of vision about where you need to be next and what you need to do. Yeah. So what was it that took you to Leeds then? My brother was already there. So I had a place at Manchester doing film and then came up in the summer, went to some free parties, started seeing a girl and was like, I'm going to come to Leeds instead. 
and found a place through clearing. Did a year at Leeds, met, dropped out, went to a different course doing cultural studies the year after. So what 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 took you to cultural studies? I mean, it's been weirdly useful. It's one of those ones that gets like Mickey Mouse degreed a lot. It's like, oh, you do media and cultural studies. Like, all right, cool. But, like, it is the reason that I sort of have the understanding that I have of a lot of the art stuff and the music mm. stuff that I've done since is, you know, those ideas of things like cultural capital and circles of practice and being within sort of groups of people and moving towards the centre of a sort of circle of practice of people doing something. A lot of those things are things from a cultural studies degree. Did you find a lot of kind of like-minded people on the... Well, obviously, they're going to be like-minded to an extent, but did people yeah. that moved in the same circles or people that inspired you in different ways you might not expect? Yeah, I think so. There was a kid that put me onto Atmosphere in my course that I'm forever right. grateful for, like, copied me some tapes. I can't remember his name now. I feel really bad about it. But he was just like, every week, he was like, have you heard themselves? Have you heard, mm. like, those one? He was like, no, give me it, give me it, give me it. Um, so, yeah, there was people like that. There was also, you know, posh kids. And we had, like, a full music studio that was completely full of library records. And I didn't know what library records were. Yeah. And I didn't, like, the studio was open till, like, eight every night with engineers there. Didn't touch it. And I feel so bad about it. And then all those library records went in the skip as well. Really? I discovered years later. They were all, like, full catalogued, like, KPM, Brunswick. Southern. Oh man! I remember like looking through and like, who's going to want this? Like, fanfare, whatever. And then when I went back, I knew what they were and I asked the engineer. I was like, "Are they?" It's like, "What? No, skip, gone." Oh, what could have been? So, on you were on a cultural studies course, but you had full access to an engineer manned studio. Yeah, and a TV studio and dark rooms. Because I was doing media as well, but yeah. Right. So I did some photography. Bits. It was good for sort of dill dilettantes just nipping in and out of doing stuff. But I was just like, you know, Nary took it seriously. I was doing all sorts of promoting and started DJing a bit more. And then we started Miniature Heroes when I was at uni. <coughs> Which sort of took off when that sort of really super local UK hip hop thing was popping off. So would that have been early 2000s then? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like very early two thousands. So from, I mean, maybe even from like ninety nine. So would that predate like all the sort of low life records movement then? It was concurrent with all of that. So what was yeah. Leeds like at that time then? Because I mean, low life was. I mean, the UK hip hop scene at that time was quite healthy, wasn't it? It was super healthy. Yeah, like brain tax wasn't about in Leeds, and there was a funny sort of two stream thing going on with like. There was the sort of Chapel Town, more like young Aggie MCs that all wanted to be Mob Deep. And mm. then there was the floppier white student MCs. And like there wasn't a huge amount of crossover. And then you'd get battles where it'd all come together and it was like, oh, there's two scenes kind of running in parallel. And then, but like, I've since discovered from like people that were into like the hardcore, like guitar music, hardcore scenes and other sort of underground scenes in Leeds there's millions of them all kind of running in parallel that you don't know about there's just it seems to be I, may, more so than other places I don't know but it's really busy but it's just practice rooms bedrooms like things do you think, think that on. still counts 
um, is and is valid today. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. No, I'm just not a part of it. Yeah, <laughs> now I look at all the listings, I'm like, because no, I wonder with things now. It's like where I live. It's like has everything dried up, or do I just not know about it? Do you find out about it in different places? I'm just not aware of. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just not party to it. Yeah, I yeah. sat and looked at the full month's listings for the Brudenell, and I was like, I recognise a band out of thirty-two, yeah. I think. And I kind of went and like, it was like maybe if I was like, no, no, don't know, don't know. Yeah, it's I, just I definitely not my world that. anymore. Sometimes you're looking at, like, I, I want to recognise their name. Yeah, but it's like, oh, my kid in. They could all be made up. Like someone could yeah. really take it in the face. Yeah. I'm old and I'm old and irrelevant now. I get it. <laughs> um, so, what was DJing like for you? Were you always just doing hip hop gigs, or would you would you cross over any, into anything you were uncomfortable with? Later on, I did some sort of corporate take this hard drive play stuff off that gigs. I didn't survive those very well. Right, was the money I was good just for those, a, though? It was all right. Yeah, it was fine, but I was just too much of a snob. When people like like play Maroon Five, and I'm like, I've already played it. Should I play it again? Like, no. <laughs> but what I will do is put a green spotlight on you for the rest of the night and move it around to make you look like a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever um, seen um, when Kid Capri shouts people out for like the bad requests and no. stuff? Is that a thing? Amazing. There's, there's a thing on YouTube. Incredible. Yeah, he, he really goes to town on and he someone. He shouts as well. Yeah. <laughs> he, get, he basically tries to get this whole club to boo this person. Like incredible i get that they've annoyed him but it's savage properly relentless i love it yeah check it out it's just um, a nice little transfer of the balance of power when you have those awkward conversations when you're like oh, obviously not like no yeah but kid Evil taught me he used to have like a regular bar gig and i was talking to him about it and he's like i'll just say yeah just like pat them on the back congratulate them on their amazing taste i'm like yeah definitely pal 100 percent, great choice and then they'll come back and be like, you're going to put that Shakira song on? It's like, it's next. It's like, next one. <laughs> in the box. There, see that one sticking out, that one. If they ever come back a third time, then you're like, oh, I played it. Do you not? Did you, were you out? <laughs> and like, he said, it's never failed. Like, not once has anyone ever called him out on it. That's and they amazing. come away feeling good about themselves. And you get to like, snicker behind the turntables. That's genius. That's I don't know if I'd have the confidence to pull that off. I mean, he was like, shy and awkward at the time, but he was like, just always works congratulate them pat them on the back I think a lot of DJs are though the, the more people I speak to there's so many of us <clears throat> are introverted yeah of course but then the thing that we do leads us to be in a place that is antithetic antithetic antithetical to that introversion you know particularly since the DJ weird, became a spotlight weird paradox is that you are the loneliest person in the room yeah like you know there is not going to be anyone else who is lonelier than you on your own at two in the morning, often sober and just thinking about sorting all of this out. Yeah. I used to work in a call centre, technical support for BT Broadband. Mm. And um, I ended up like, you know, you'd be on the phone constantly from the moment you logged on till the moment you logged off. And then I, I at one point got this, got this job that I thought was great, modem replacements. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd sit there all day with a big spreadsheet and a load of emails ticking things off to get modems sent out to people. Okay. I thought, brilliant, I'm not, going to be able to, I'm not going to have to be on the phone all day. But then it was like I was just sat in silence for eight hours just filling in a spreadsheet. And I was like, oh, it's, 
it's not really any better. I've never done a job of that nature and it just baffles me. Like I've never worked in an office or a call centre or anything. I've always done quite intense, like generally face-to-face jobs, which yeah. for someone who's naturally quite shy is a weird thing to have done. But mm. the idea of doing that, like I know someone who literally had to put binary in for eight-hour shifts. Really? Something with Leeds Uni where they had to turn all data cards into something and she had to just type zero one zero one for eight hours. I'd love it if there was like personality tests where you could understand because there's got to be people that thrive with something like that they just want a single task to do where they can switch off the other part of the brain (laughs) and just crack on with it and um you know for a lot of people it's the worst nightmare and i wonder if you'd be able to effectively pair people up based on um personality profiles with ideal jobs for them because it's like putting lids on ketchup there's got to be people that it's good for the more i get older the more i realize loads of that is just neurodivergence like it's some people's brains are really well suited to that mm. and if you took it a bit further down that road there's an actual pathology and a name for it but yeah like, i've got a very adhd brain which means i have to bounce between loads of things constantly. yeah Let, let's come on to that in a bit then if you don't mind hey guys i hope you're enjoying once a dj i wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on so I've teamed up with SureShot Shop to create some Wunta DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from wuntadj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out sureshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat-making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code WONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. Because um, when you left uni then, um, what what were you doing then if you've not done any kind of street student graveyard type sort of jobs as I'd class them? Uh, so I did some bar work, some kitchen work, DJed enough to make a bit of money and then worked at Sound Control, like we're in the DJ department there. Oh, nice. Like a couple of days a week. But this was when Vestax was really like popping off and they were releasing like the turntable guitar and all of their mm. mad fader boards and stuff. I don't know if you and saw, but the designer from Vestax died yesterday. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's sad. I've been following all like the vintage Vestax accounts on Instagram. Yeah, they're amazing. I like, oh, love it. And so I did that. And then, because I wasn't sure what I was going to do, I went into doing support with kids in schools. Um, that must have been intense. Yeah, it was good. It was it was intense, but it was like, it's one of those jobs you tell people and they shake their head and they're like, oh, and she's like, no, it's great. Like, I much prefer the company of kids to adults, generally, because they haven't made their minds up, you know what I mean? Like, then You can mm. talk to them, and at the end of a conversation, they're like, oh, 
I think something different to what I thought before that. Yeah. And adults don't ever change their mind. It's not a thing. Really. Yeah. You'd like to think they do, but they don't, really. I think, yeah, kids can be a lot more open-minded, can't they, mm. about a lot of things than adults. Things that might surprise you. <coughs> yeah. Um, and then just, yeah, bounce between stuff. Always had DJ kicks just coming in, but it, I looked at people that had made that push and done it as their main job and it wasn't a healthy lifestyle like I saw people's you know like studio tan and having to move back with their parents and you know making all of those sacrifices I'm like I don't want to do that it's not I'm not that committed to it to you know occasionally get 200 quid for a gig but basically be broke and spend 10 hours a day learning to cut I think at one point as well from what I saw the difficulty was knowing when to start declaring everything yeah because I knew people that lived for a long time on the cash in hand but then it's like if you lose this work you know you can't claim benefits and stuff because yeah. you've not contributed as far as I know and yeah when's the tax man going to catch up with you so mm. there was that side of things as well you don't need that anxiety do you no it's just another another thing to worry about um, it's like of those people though like I remember again Kid Knievel Gerard was like sort of my model for like he's doing alright you know he won like a BBC introducing grant thing he was mm. like doing but I was like also we were very much of a similar level at a time he was getting better but I'm like I'm not that committed like I'm not yes. that knees deep in that world were you producing as well then because production till a bit, pushed his not till a bit later it? on um, maybe yeah, like a two or three years behind. He's uh, touring with MAA now, though. Really? And producing, like, drums for Massive Attack, and, like, it's, like, it's paid off. Like, it's yeah. really paid off, but it's been a long slog. That's it, and, and I think... This is kind of part of doing this podcast, really. It's looking at when you follow your passions, because there's this thing of, do you follow your passions, or do you go, nah, following your passions for suckers, just, just find something steady. Mm. Um because the chances of you making it in your passion and making your passion into a living or a lifestyle are quite mm. low. But I think th- what I want to get out of this and give to people, if there's ever a particularly any younger people that listen to this, is understanding what you can get out of following your passion. You might not become that certain thing, but you might be able to leverage it and move. If If you're kind of flexible about what you want to achieve... Yeah. You know, it can open doors for you to do other things that are close enough to it to satisfy that need. Um, I think it totally does. I think, like, you know, like, uh, just learn, like, in, entirely teaching yourself something is an amazing thing to have done. Mm. You know, like, I was sort of, I was pretty good at cutting without any input, say, for seeing a few videos. Like, you know, not incredible, but I was, I was decent. And, you know, subsequently, a lot of the things that I've done, I'm not a good student of other people. Like, I'm not good at sitting and listening, but I am pretty good at just knuckling down. And I'm going to learn that. Just do yeah. Did you Which find is... you when you were working with the kids? Then were you able to connect with them through any of the artistic stuff? Yeah, I did DJ workshops with them. It was good. The first thing we always did was just teaching them not to be scared. So we'd like get them to put their full body weight on a turntable platter and be like, "Look, just push, like really, mm. like push, like you, like this is the bit you can break. This bit, this little needle, anything else, like just smack it. It's yeah. fine. Like it's you're safe." Um, and again, you get kids that would be banging quickly. 
like they would just pick it up and say, oh, right, so I'll just do that. So i just be good at scratching, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just do that. Just be good at that. Um, and, you know, I do it with sign painting classes as well. I get some people that come and they just watch and they're like, oh, so I'll just do this. And you're like, you're already better than I was after like six months of yeah. hard work teaching myself. Just, I can just do it. It's like, I try not to be salty about it. <laughs> some people do just pick stuff up fast. Yeah. But there's definitely like parlaying things that you've learned from that world into sort of parallel ventures or, you know. Yeah. So at what point was it after doing the, the after working with the kids that you went into, was it primary teaching? Secondary. Secondary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was just like, I may as well earn three times as much money. Mm. But it, like teaching assistants don't get paid enough to live really. Yeah. Like I would have carried on. I loved it, but you don't get paid enough money to actually buy food. And this was then. Like, it must be worse now. But What were you teaching then? Was, <coughs> it, was it art? English. Everyone guesses art. Yeah. I wasn't even allowed to do my art GCSE. Okay. I asked him, and he said I wasn't good enough. Wow. Yeah. Well, you've got them now, haven't you? Yeah. I need to go back and find him. <laughs> Mr. Jones. Uh, I spoke to someone else who said the same thing. She went back to visit. She's like a, you know, solid graphic designer artist, and she went back to her school and was like found someone that knew her art teacher that was really disparaging and mean it's like that's mad (laughs) so how did you find it then the the english teaching it was good it like it really ticks a lot of the same boxes as djing like because you are forward facing you've got to present this like version and then you've got your you know like your headphone version of all your stuff yeah, mm. you've got a plan. You know the journey that everyone is going on. You know where you need them to end up. Like, I didn't see a huge difference, and it like for someone who's shy, I'd kind of just got over stage fright. So walking into an assembly, it's like I can just get into that mode where you're like, oh, you're just standing in front of some people. It's fine, and you're broadcasting to some people. Like it's it's fine. So is there an equivalent of something? I think is a big challenge with DJing is. When someone's coming up and asking for requests, if you know, if you've not got that kid can evil technique, mm. is you kind of want to talk to them and manage their expectation properly, but you're also trying to do your job and trying to queue up your next tune and stuff. And, yeah, yeah. And it's you can't dedicate that. Like I, I, I don't really like the dealing with people side of it, but there's been quite a few things where me and my mate have done weddings where. He does the majority of the DJing, and I'll kind of be out in the crowd. And then, you when we do talk that, to Uncle yeah, Robert. you've got the time. <laughs> you've got the time to to converse with them and explain the process and manage them properly. Mm. But is there an equivalent of that when you're teaching, when the kids are saying whatever, and you're like trying to work out how you do the next bit of your lesson plan or anything? Yeah, you just you learn to just read the subtext, eh? Like. A lot of what people are saying isn't what they're saying. You just, you know, generally when kids are shouting and when people want requests, part of them just wants validation. They want recognition and they want a second of being eyeballed. I mean, like, I see you. I hear what you're saying. Mm. I'm getting on with this now, but good shout. Yeah, all right, peace. And, you know, that goes a long way to it. And that is a quick one. And I have to do that when I'm, you know, I'm painting media boxes or murals out on the street. You get a queue of people. Like, I've literally had queues of people waiting in line to be like my granddad was a sign painter I like red can I have a go whatever and they just want a second of validation and then you know 
generally need a little bit of steering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those like soft skills, those just managing people, you know, going like I saw people who were much better at progressing their careers and people who moved to London who had that sort of banter, self-promotion thing down, which is, I think, a different skill. You know, like talking to yeah. promoters, talking to other people. I was never great at that, but those kind of soft skills of keeping people happy, kind of fine. Yeah, I was talking about this in, in an office environment with someone the other day. That um, It's someone that I want to work with a lot more because I really, really see the value in what they do. And in their workplace, that's not necessarily seen. And we were talking about another person there where there'll be people that get brought in from outside to do a certain job because they're seen as this, like, exciting, creative, whatever. Mm. But then these people that sit there do really good work but just stay humble. Yeah. They just kind of fly under the radar and no one thinks, oh, yeah, we should use them and kind of like boost them up whereas they probably do better work in half the time than the people that they're bringing in because they know they ask a lot more intimately as well and and it's like it's not about being a knobhead or anything it's not like you you don't have to be kind of arrogant i don't think Mm. it's it's a lot more nuanced than that isn't it just this this dealing with people it's it's not that arrogant people get to go further it's just it's something about how you it's like a, it's just a sort of confidence thing. I think yeah. like I went to a grammar school and there is just like a sort of level of confidence that you come away with. And I see it with people who are completely inept and have got that sort of public yeah. school confidence. I'm like, you're objectively an idiot. Like you're not a smart <laughs> person and you're managing this company and you're basically doing fine because you've got people working for you. Well, look at Boris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the, you know, the epitome of that. But there is like, I see people who are great and they constantly diminish themselves and they miss opportunities and they're like, oh, I've got a little business doing this. I'm like, you haven't got a little business. Like you're really good at doing a thing mm. and people should pay you a lot of money. And, you know, like I don't always talk about money with people that I'm, you know, do similar jobs, but like, I'll talk about day rates with people and they'll be like, you charge how much? I'm like, I do. And you know how many people complain about it? Like none. Yeah. Because like part of that is like a cost equals value equation. And if you've got the balls to be like, it is that much, that's just how much a day of my time costs. Yeah. And they're like, exactly the same work becomes better and more valuable to them, which is the same with consultants that come in. They can come in and talk shit in front of people and everyone hangs on their every word because you know someone knows how much they're billing them for time versus output isn't it that that you pay that you're um, charging people for yeah. um but yeah sometimes it's like <coughs> if you don't charge enough as well people just don't take you seriously no, like getting your, getting your price point right is quite a tricky thing and if you do things for free even for people that you know that should know better I've seen people just apply zero value to something that is objectively like good work. Yeah. In, you know, across different things, across music and, you know, doing bits of engineering for people or painting stuff. I've done things, tried to help people out, not charged, and they've been like, oh, well, that's just... Yeah. Knowing knowing when to do free is a is a really big skill. Yeah. It's an asset because it can get your foot in the door for the right thing, but yeah, sometimes you just get walked all over. Yeah. Um so what was it that led you to leave the teaching 
was it that enough was enough or did you then find that uh, so I was doing a masters while I was teaching in? doing art stuff so I did without even an art GCSE I did an art masters right um, and initially was sort of going to make education resources and games and things that I was going to paint got into sign painting doing that and then just fell down that same hole of starting scratching where you're like this is really hard and this goes very deep mm. and I'm just getting in I'm just going to keep doing it like I expected that I would be good at it and I wasn't and I've got a little sort of knobhead gear that goes alright okay let's just get good then like there's a bit of me that can't bear it do you look at things like they're a puzzle to be solved yeah because yeah, I sure. get like that with things like I'm obsessed with Sudoku right specific type of Sudoku as well at the moment and I'm just like with things like that if I struggle with them I'll be like I want to understand the strategies of how to do it yeah me and my missus um, played drafts for the first time the other day oh okay well, I played it for the first time. She's played it loads when she was younger. Okay. So now, like, she absolutely wall- walloped me at it. So I'm like, <laughs> right, I need to start reading about drafts because I need to understand <laughs> why she's beating me and how I stopped this happening and how I beat her. Is there a lot of to it? Is there strategy to drafts? This is what I need to read. I got, like, halfway through something and okay. got distracted. But um, I find that with a lot of things. So, like, even with something like this project, for example, it's like how do I get this to a place where it's profitable, where it's growing? And mm. it's almost like, it's a puzzle, you know, um, digital marketing campaigns, things like that. It's a puzzle. How, you know, you've got this amount of time, this amount of budget. How do you optimise this? Mm. And particularly with digital, looking at multi-channel things, how do you get everything to align and work yeah. together? Like, I, So, yeah, so and I'm the same with that. I it's mean, all if I've got something like that, that's when I'm calm. When my mm. brain is occupied across that many frequencies, like I'm not saying I'm smart, but I require that much input and to not have loads of just constant chatter going on in my head. I need to like, so mixtapes were my favorite for that. Like a mixtape is a problem to be solved. You set yourself a brief mm. and you're like, I'm going to do this or it's going to be this long or it's just going to be from these sources or, you know, you create some hurdles and then you just sit and problem solve for Every half term when I was teaching, I would make a mixtape. I was going to say to you, how was, how was DJing alongside teaching? Did, did, did DJing right. just go or...? No. Because uh, I, I, I was promoting um, a night called Stone Soup that was every Thursday, Wednesday. So every other week in the week, and we were out till like late, and it was boozy. And we did like come to an understanding with the kids about hangovers that was just like <laughs> it was cool like we were all right with it it's like i'm having a tough day we all need to be cool like we can have a nice time but just so you know like i'm gonna get the teaching assistant to destroy you if you shout if, you, if, like, if you're gonna be awful it's gonna be a bad time for everyone and they what? just got on board with it they were like all right just let mr Adley's got That's hangover amazing. just be cool and everyone was cool we like the cool teacher because you were an open book about stuff like that I think it helps, eh? I don't know. I don't know that there is such a thing as a cool teacher. I remember I did a... I was judging a... Was it a rap battle? I think it was a rap battle at Leeds University. And some of the kids from school were there. And they just couldn't get their head. They were like, what? What is that div that wears a cardigan doing sitting up there next to the stage? <laughs> no! 
you see like you can see kids minds crumbling when you get that like the code switching doesn't work and they're like but he's from that world and I'm in this world and he's and so you know you get a little bit of shine and I was like I'll make him a CD I'll make him a hip hop CD and they just were like it's a bit old old." (laughs) it's like this is like Kleshnikov this is like a year and a half old but that's old you know what I mean that's like they were at that stage where like it's what's out this month Uh, to me anything after 2000 is still new yeah exactly that state I'm in. Um, so, when did you discover your ADHD? So, uh, my oldest kid has it much more severely than me, and he's medicated for it. And so, we've had to sort of read about it. And the more you read, I'm like, oh, that's me. Oh, that's also me. Oh, that's me as well. Yeah. Um, which has been, like, I just speak to loads of adults that have this same thing, but it completely reconfigures what you thought was your personality is sort of the pathology of a chemical deficiency in your brain. Like, you think you're just interested in stuff and, you know, like, loads of stuff makes sense in retrospect. Like, just getting overwhelmed with busy spaces and loud noises and <coughs> having to take on sort of complex tasks like making a mixtape or learning triple-click flares or whatever. So would that they're like all an quiet expression down the of, noise? Yeah, they're like a hyper-focus thing that's like really standard ADHD behaviour. And also, like, once it becomes codified and you know it's a thing, I realise that basically all of my friends are as well. Like, it's just pretty much without exception. The people that you drift through the world and you're like, oh, like, she's cool, he's brilliant, I'll become friends with them. You're like, also ADHD mm. people. Do you medicate? I tried it. I tried the so we give our kids um, Ritalin or uh, Concerta, the new version of Ritalin, which is just speed. Uh, and I tried his meds, and it is speed, like it's drugs. It's not, you know, it's not a paracetamol. You know about it when you've had it in the morning. Mm. It's not like having a cup of coffee. And he has it every morning. He has like a big dose every day, and he struggles if he's off it. So. No, I'm not down for that. I didn't like it. Made my skin itch. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a similar conversation with someone recently who said he he discovered it and he said it was an absolute game um, that he had ADHD. That mm. is not the Ritalin, and he said it was an absolute game changer because it just gave him a lot of clarity about just a lot of things in yeah. life. But he said he tried the medication and just really couldn't get on. But no. just just knowing's enough. Yeah, you don't beat yourself up so much, mm. like. I would really beat myself up about stuff that I couldn't do. There's stuff that I'm good at, but like, give me a tax return and I'll cry and punch the table and my brain will melt and I can't do it. Like, I just get completely overwhelmed with juggling like a few variables at once. Whereas, you know, give me like a complex bit of writing to copy edit or a mixtape and I have no stress and it's completely fine and I can do it. But certain things I'll be like, well, I'm just an idiot. I can't function and it's like oh, it's just like a problem of neurochemistry yeah. you did used to write didn't you but that's something yeah. you're not covered Can you yeah. tell us a bit about that uh so my friend paul started bonafide magazine which was like uh what was it called documenting concrete culture was their nice. tagline um and it was good and he like he was a designer um but it was chock full of mistakes and my English teacher brain couldn't deal with it and I was like look just let me edit the magazine for you and make it like be correct and then anything sort of turntable-y like hip hop would kind of come to me and I'd start writing features so I did 
like Ricky Powell got to interview Mixmaster Mike that was fun oh amazing but in the middle of a gig so I was I had like a regular five hour gig and I had to go and see the manager and be like I've got to call California at 10 o'clock I had to go and sit on the floor in a shopping centre with people like out in town all around me just like, writing <laughs> stuff down and recording um, well, that was good I carried on doing that for a few years but uh, you know sometimes you have to cut things loose where there is zero money and quite a lot of work yeah and, and if they're things that hold you back from excelling in the other things that you care about more yeah yeah and it's you know there has to be some element of kudos for things as well you know like you have to, you know I don't think it's especially greedy or self-obsessed to want like they started putting someone else's name at the top of articles really how like posted by I was like well, it's not written by you though is it mm. and then they bury my name at the bottom and they didn't see why that was a problem. It's, like, it's kind of a problem. If I'm going to work for free, yeah, I want just at least a name at the top so yeah, I can parlay it into something else. Don't know. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for your sort of resume, does it? If you're saying to people, "Oh yeah, I wrote this article," and then they go to a website or whatever, and your name's just yeah. not even near the top you of it. Scroll all the way down past yeah. some adverts and stuff at the bottom. It's like, so, um, so from starting the sign writing, I appreciate we've been all over your timeline. Bouncing about today, it. yeah, um, and not really got into much in terms of the DJing. But I think what's interesting is how you've kind of related the DJing to everything else and the things that you've learnt from it. Um, it's sort of foundational, yeah. And um, with the sign writing, I know when we talked on the phone, you mentioned about the cut. This is something I thought about a lot since we discussed it. Is you mentioned about. Um, training someone else up in sign writing and, and another sign writer questioning why you might want to do mm. that but we were talking about how the hip hop culture yeah. kind of encourages you to bring other people into like, the fold what would Bambata do yeah it's like if this person's in there if they're that good then you've just got to get better yeah you know and that like that is absolute like that's a fundament of that world like I think when we came into it and Qbert just made that like I'm just gonna share everything I'll teach yeah. everyone how to do everything and that is standard practice there's no hiding anything there's no like I can do this that you don't know what it is and then yeah someone is being salty about it and they're like but there's only two sign writers don't teach anyone else how to do it I was like no I want to create competition mm. I want to make other people you know like, that's why Le Leeds was hitting well above its weight for a while because there was just that critical mass of you know, Michael and Matt Mann and Combine and Cynical and all these people that were all just like, oh, have you seen like Matt can do that now? It's like, have you seen, you know, Mike's on this now? Was there a lot of like community jamming and stuff? Yeah, then? just little like, just nipping around people's houses and doing that. And then like, because there was also that kind of perfect storm of a regular night that really pushed residents at Drum Major. <coughs> so you know you got to you knew you were getting better and you had a regular place with mm. rap nerds that were coming to watch you and you know like week by week see who had new routines who'd kind of got better yeah I, I mean I wish I'd spent more time up in Leeds it to be honest it was a healthy that. scene like it was a really healthy scene yeah I was just too lazy and anxious to go anywhere really like <laughs> speak to a lot of people in this and, and whether it's about things like this or it's about the club culture and stuff it's like I, I didn't really 
go anywhere outside my comfort zone at all for about 10 years. No, I and mean, I, I should have gone to Manchester more because it's really not very far away. Yeah. It's ridiculous that in retrospect, you're like, I can just get there. And no, I don't even have a car, but it doesn't matter. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying Wonder DJ. I wanted to create a product for the listeners to be able to support the show and for the guests as a token of gratitude for being on. So I've teamed up with SureShot Shop to create some Wunter DJ 45 RPM adapter clamps. These are my weapon of choice as a 45 adapter as they add stability and grip to aid you in any setup. These are available for £25 each plus flat fee postage from wunterdj.bigcartel.com and if you'd like to see the other models you can buy and also customise, check out showshotshop.com. If you're a DJ who's been wanting to get into production but don't know where to start, or if you're looking to level up your beat making skills, look no further than howtomakemusic.co's online courses and personal coaching. Chris, the founder of How To Make Music, as well as knowing a load about music production, was once a DJ, and so his courses are ideal for the likes of us. From the Music Theory Essentials course to the incredibly thorough Ableton Turbo Start, there's a ton of good information to get you developing your music production skills. In addition to the video tutorials, there's a load of reference guides and they even offer personal coaching to get you where you want to be even quicker. And if you buy any course at howtomakemusic.co using the code WONCEADJ at checkout, you'll receive 10% off. So what are you waiting for? Visit howtomakemusic.co. What are the... Um because I guess you get about, from what I've seen with the sign writing, you know, you do bits down in Sheffield and here, there and everywhere. Um, what's it like up up around sort of Leeds and Sheffield for the satellite towns? Are they getting a bit more diverse and, so say like an Otley or just in, in more sort of art things going on? I don't know. Again, like, you know, with those sort of scenes that you don't know about, there's just a lot of scenes that you don't know about. There's things happening... Mm. And you know, you like Instagram has been kind of amazing for finding people who are because there's always been like you'd occasionally come across DJs that were incredible that were in like Llanbedder in Wales or something. Yeah, and he's just a dude with a mini disc player, and it's like, but you're like you'd be crushing it in Leeds. You'd be absolutely. It's like you know, mm. just lives in a cottage and he makes mixtapes. It's like oh, you got to meet my friend that does this, and now those people like have. A platform, and you know, it sounds kind of cliched, but you have a platform and easy access, like equivalent access to yeah. stuff. And you see some people like really crushing it from interesting places, but a lot of that is often kind of divorced from a scene, like it's not part of that local, real world scene, which I think was important. Yeah, I think yeah. that was like you know that really mattered, especially when you're learning something tactile. Like I remember um, learning flares from my friend Lars and he was like I was trying I couldn't get it and he was like it's like chigada wagada chigada wagada and he's like trying to vocalise how it worked and he was like alright hold on this is going to seem a little bit gay but just be cool and he kind of reached his arms around me like uh, the film Ghost <laughs> I pressed put his hands on mine It's like just relax just relax just do this just do this just do this and it's like can it be just puppeted me for a bit and I was like ah alright I can flare now like this is a you know a real world physical Thing. Yeah, it's so weird though, isn't it? With with the mechanics, because with things like flare, you're you're activating an on uh, you're activating an off switch rather than an on switch. Yeah, and my brain could do it. Yeah, through 
listening through words through you know all the other things like patterns and things and he's like I know what we need to do yeah I'm just going to make you my puppet for a minute and you'll know how to do flares I'm like and ever since then I have a little Patrick Swayze moment and I start doing flares I'm just like oh, he's behind me I found <laughs> it with, I found it with drum kits where if I was if I wanted to learn anything sort of with like ghost notes involved or anything because yeah. I just used to get on a drum kit whenever I could um, and it was usually at the end of brass band mm. that, that was my life as a, as a <laughs> 10, 12, 13 year old and you just really have to slow things down to probably try to do a beat at about 45 BPM or something like that just to get understand the mechanics okay. so that you can speed it up and, 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 and kind of take it from like a left brain thing to a right brain thing yeah. and stop overthinking about it um, that's why I got fired from my sound control job playing the drums Really? <laughs> Whenever it was quiet, they had that Roland's TD10, the digital kit mm. with the skins on. I was like, well, there's no one here. Like, no one's buying DJ stuff today, so I'm going to play the drums. And basically, I just sat in the shop just getting paid to play the drums. And I'm like, you kind of need to just piss off now because you've come <laughs> to work like and play the drums all day. Sounds like a dream. Yeah, it was fun while it lasted. I'd been into it that. <laughs> it was great. And, you know, occasionally someone would come in for, you know, spending a fortune and they had to have someone that knew about turntables and PA and things it's mm. like oh, I'm sort of useful from time to time but I can't pretend to be busy when I'm not yeah so, so just going back to the sign writing then um, how did that kind of blow up because you because you get quite a lot of things like um, like breweries and stuff like that. you seem mm. to have quite a good network of where you get the work from is any of that fall out of any of the other sort of cultural endeavours that you've done or like how did the business grow yeah it all just ties together I don't know I mean I would say I'm probably significantly more successful in that than the music things that I tried mm. um, and partly it was just a question of timing you know like you look at a lot of people that are successful it's not necessarily anything to do with being the best at something it's just hitting a window perfectly and being able to write it out but like also I had to leave teaching I was burnt out and my I couldn't deal with it anymore I'd been good at it and everyone was like oh that must be hard I was like no how good. many years like, was it again about 12. eight twelve oh wow yeah um, and then when I had to go I had to go so I just like I need to make this be a thing that works and take it seriously and I think doing a master's degree like I, I was a bit of a contrary student and didn't like a lot of the stuff on my course but what they do do is make you take yourself seriously as an artist like they don't let you be a hobbyist like you have to account for what you're doing and explain what you're doing and you know talk about your practice and your you know what your art is without making excuses I was like right, I, I'm a craft like my dissertation was about the nature of art versus craft like the identity of like a craftsperson and an artist being different and a craftsperson being like community facing and an artist being sort of internally looking for inspiration inside them and some of that was from you know doing other community facing music stuff and having that understanding um, but just like having some style having the capacity to just knuckle down teach myself to do something and be good at it and the other people that had done it generationally just slipping off and stopping all played into it did you this worked and I think the fact that I can bounce between like the sign writers I know in London 
a lot of them because there's so much work they specialize and they'll just do gold or they'll do vintage vehicle restoration or they'll do shop signs or they'll do murals i just kind of do everything i just bounce between loads of things so i never have fallow periods because there's always something from one yeah end coming up so something i used <coughs> to do in djing which probably caused me no end of headaches but when i worked in marketing and sort of content was quite beneficial was just saying yes before really thinking something through oh, and yeah, just sure. you work out how to do it later yeah. when i've done that with djing you get like a day before a gig and you're like i've not prepared for this so yeah. how am i going to get through this thing and i have maybe not panic attacks but i stress out about it a lot but you've never completely screwed it up right you've always kind of got away with it oh yeah yeah, yeah. and um I found it it's something that held me in really good stead when I moved into a particular job because they're like right we need someone to work in project managing on this big video production I'm like yep yeah, do that never done it before mm. it's like I put in the hours I'll do long days you know I didn't have to say this to him I just did it and that's what helped me to do that because yeah you'll just work until you get it right yeah um, I mean that's the privilege of being a tall white guy partly like it's, it's, but it's you know like I attribute some of it to having gone to the school I went to, but also like I know women that are in most respects better at whatever they do than the people around them, but they don't have that particular gear. We're like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, of course, I'll do, definitely, I'll, no problem, I'll do that. Because they'll legitimately be like, I'm not sure that that's quite within my wheelhouse. And then someone who's less qualified is like, I'll do that. Yeah, I, I, I say no to very little, and I'd nearly always get away with it. I just teach myself how to do things. I, I heard I heard of a CEO referring to it as like white man's confidence or something yeah. like that recently. Absolutely is, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll do that. What's the worst that could happen?" Well, like you know, and even if you fail, you get the kudos of being a go-getter that tried to do it. Yeah, I mean, like it's crazy, and I, I increasingly get frustrated at people I know that don't have that. And I, you know, do little pep talks with people. I'm like, don't, don't diminish your business. Don't say no. Just be like a cocky little gobshite and just say, yeah, you'll do that. Yeah, mm. yeah, of course I can do that. Of course, I lay out. You know, some of the first murals that I did were like ninety foot long, giant lettering on the side of some hoardings. I'm like, can you do that? I'm like, yeah, of course I can. How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, you just with a mix of ingenuity and asking people and tape measures and computers just like figured it out it's fine and then you even when things didn't work just fit like also having the capacity to problem solve on the fly and not cry about it mm. like i've nearly always got away with it two or three times i've not and it's been fine anyway yeah and you've had projects on telly as well haven't you mm. i've got a new thing coming up soon that should have been out this month a new stephen graham thing that i did tons of stuff for and again like Someone came on my course um, that I was teaching, got in touch from Netflix and was like, we're doing a thing set in the future. Can you do a memorial spray paint mural from the future in 80 years time from a giant calamity? I was like, yeah, of course I can. Yeah, I'll do that. Definitely. <laughs> I never asked. And then, did, like, did, you, did you used out. to write a graph? Yeah, I was never great though. I was I, I couldn't claim to be a good graph writer. Mm. Drunken graph. <laughs> uh we did some pieces, did some there's some bits that occasionally I'll be like, Oh wow, it's still there. How is that still there? But um yeah, this Netflix thing 
just snowballed into like painting whole streets and sides of buildings and just aging down sets like just doing sort of a set decorator's work but awesome all the set decks can't use graffiti stuff like and they they know that i it'll look dog shit if i come and write jeff was here because mm. you can read that a mile off so having that kind of cultural capital to know what it's supposed to look like and the network of people to be like do you want to come and paint a set for a day i'll just get a whole box of paint and you can just kick stuff about so i had a couple of weeks of destroying uh went with the state it's always nice if you can pull your mates in as well it's isn't great. it yeah um and a street up in hull <coughs> um just covering sides of buildings and painting loads of fake graffiti that had to come and get stuck in for the awesome. two hours that they're filming so um what does DJing look like for you now then from that world like I've been doing some production I went over to working on it in Manchester that's like a instrumental hip hop thing <coughs> at the hip hop chip shop yeah in Manchester that lone apostrophe does who used to MC with me a long time ago um, and playing like beat sets of koala on the iPad <coughs> um, and then deciding whether I get back into putting everything together or divest myself of four or five thousand records and I think where you were a few years ago right like, yeah I mean I, I ditched a lot but I've kind of so came many. back to it a few years later and I'm in I'm enjoying it and <coughs> excuse me it's kind of like once you do something once say some sort of creative endeavor say you recorded a mix on the computer multi-tracked it all up duh, 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 that file disappeared you're not going to get the same thing again but what you will do is you'll be like well i can do that quicker and more efficiently yeah, for sure yeah and i think ditching all the records buying again i'm not saying everything i buy is a good purchase but comparatively to the first time around that I did it, I'm a, I'm quite a lot more ruthless now. I think about okay. putting things back and getting something if I want it. I'd rather now buy one thing that's fifteen quid than five that are three, for example. Yeah. And and just having that benefit of a bit of wisdom of buying again mm. and knowing knowing what it might look like if I buy certain things, it's like really, how much time do I have to spend sampling? at the moment there's loads of things I'd bought because they've got samples on them a lot of my collection is that they're things that I'm not going to want to listen to but they've got like that um, 40,000 Headmen tune mm. on your mix like I've used that in a mix before as well the rest of the record that it's from I forget who it is Moody Blues no no the one with the flute on it isn't it yeah oh, I can't Gorgeous. think off the top of my but I've head. got it on a comp the rest of it's awful yeah I, just, like, I wouldn't even necessarily play that whole tune out, but I've just got so much, and I've got so much spoken word. I've got, like, an offensive amount of spoken word. Bird voices of Wales, volumes one to four. I think like, that sort like of stuff that. was such a big thing in the, uh, like, ninja tune, Mowak sort of era. Yeah. And that's hardwired into me to want all of that. Yeah, I, I think it would be hard to hard to do a lot with things like that without it sounding a little bit dated. Yeah. Yeah, 
But if it's stuff, that, if it's stuff that you love, it. Like, yeah. I, it's, I, like I don't want to use it necessarily. I don't want to get rid of it. But I've spent a long time building a very odd little collection of super niche spoken word stuff. Yeah, my, my advice would be if you don't need the space and you, you're not trying to move anywhere anytime mm. soon, just keep them. Yeah, I would sooner lose like import hip hop 12s from the early yeah. 2000s. Yeah, yeah. The exploits of Blaster Bates, which is like <laughs> a northern demolition guy that predates Fred Dibner. I mean, telling, likewise, telling stories about blowing up chimneys. <laughs> with that, if you get rid of that, it won't take you long to find another copy. Well, I don't know. I've only seen it once. Really? Yeah. I've seen a few of them. Oh, yeah. Get down to the Midlands. <laughs> um, is there anything that we've not covered, do you think, in terms of DJing or anything else? Because I, I, I appreciate it. There's like the bands bit in the middle. So there was Miniature Heroes, which was um, Lazy and Arrow. Um, and we did quite well. We were about around the front of Undercover Magazine and did some recording, like travelled around, did some gigs. Um, and that was kind of production cuts and stuff. And then Sound of the Baskervilles band that was like a big funk band. So just just, just on the doing the cuts for bands then, because I used to do it a little bit. Um, it's not something I'd kind of recommend anyone to listen to. <laughs> but what I struggled with was the, the repetition of going and doing the same thing every time. Would okay. you Would you repeat or would you freestyle? Freestyle with a phrase, but... Like so, I don't have a great ear for like pitch and music. Mm. Like I couldn't tell if some things in key, like rhythmically yeah. solid. But I would have a lot of like um, like those Richie Rucker and Chris Gear Stads like uh, tone records. Oh yeah, yeah. And I would sit with one of the writers and be like, okay, so this is in C, right? So find me a C and I would tape it off. And then we would do like really laboriously put together actual musical turntable things uh, that had to be repeated, but they were like interesting technical challenges and yeah. like early sort of loop station things like trying to sync a loop station with a band and build phrases. Um, I never got bored. I played the tambourine. So I like really? the tambourine. That's fun. Yeah, I think I'd struggle with that. <laughs> it's tiring <laughs> though, as well, isn't it? Yeah, it was a like it was a good sort of physical hip hop party band. It was like it was a fun thing to do, but it's hard to maintain. Like I think we got up to twelve pieces, maybe with horns and stuff at one point. It's like keeping all of that in the air. It's a lot, Tricky. and and I always used to think it was interesting with bands when I, if I do like little pub sets early on when I was DJing you might be getting paid 50 quid to play for half an hour yeah. and like an entire band's there they're probably getting 20-25 quid between them or something uh, we had gigs where you'd literally be getting fractions of a pound it'd yeah. be like £2.30 for your gig or something um, but you know you also get to that point and you abandon the idea of it making you any money at all like, Yeah, we're paying to be in this band with petrol and stuff but it's fine it's fun if you're loving it. You know, it's like a band of pirates with your mates. You get to go mm. maraud all over and rock up places, um, which is, you know, I feel sorry that people never get to do that. Like, it's a rare experience and it's special. Yeah, I think with, with the band I did stuff with, it was the travelling around with them all that was the big thing for me. Yeah. Because they were just a lovely bunch of people and we got to go do some stuff and we got looked after, you know. Yeah. 
Um, the guy that organised everything was pretty solid, made sure everyone got their, um, you know, got decent petrol money and all this yeah. and paid whatever he could, yeah. you know. And, you know, it was, it was pretty fair like that. I think you get, you know, I've always had that. Like, I had a night that I put on where we got some free drinks if it was really busy, 50 quid in total for, mm. you know, we'd, when we'd put all sorts of stuff on. Like, we would get loads of bands to come and play. We got, like, um, we hosted Andy Votel, Finders Keepers Tour, every month for a bit. And we just did all of it on a shoestring. We used to, like, raffle off records and paintings and stuff. Yeah. And we just, but everyone knew that, like, you know, we never took anything. Like, we're doing it for free. And we'd be like, look, we've got 50 quid. We've got three people on. You can have 20 quid each because we've, you know, raffled some stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, that's a gear that people should understand. Yeah, I think a lot of people get it. That There's things I'll do happily for free where I'm like, <coughs> you know it's not someone mugging you off and then sometimes someone might want you to do sometimes it's worse if someone wants you to do something for a low amount than if they want you to do it for free because they're doing it for different reasons yeah yeah. I mean I I'm at a stage now where I'm entirely happy to tell people to stick it up their ass when they ask me to do stuff for free yeah if I like because I just my radar is strong for when people are taking the mic and if someone says the word exposure <laughs> I'm like, I'm not into your exposure. Yeah, I'm no, good, thanks. I'm all right for your exposure. Um, right, just before we call time on it, um, is there anything that you think we've missed that's a key piece of advice for any up-and-coming DJs? I don't know. I think, like, if I was mentoring someone, just trying to help someone understand the nature of time, like how long you have... And, you know, if you can just do two hours a day, if you can do an hour a day, if you do half an hour a day practising something, you'll be pretty good at it after a year. After kind a of couple compounds, of years, doesn't it? Like, it seems like it's an insurmountable thing, but just chip away. Like, you know, like the advice that is useful the older you get is the not very glamorous, exciting advice, but just, like, just keep doing something. Yeah. Aim to be a bit less shit at it. And before you know it, you're like, oh, I'm actually yeah. all right. I'm fine. Amazing. And just one last question then. Who would you like to see on this podcast and why? Uh, Michael. Dr. Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's got some good stories for you, for sure. Um, and then, if you're going to get some Americans, Kid Koala. My all-time favourite gig was Kid Koala. I'd love to get Kid Koala on, a on here. Wednesday night at a working men's club, and I just thought I'd go and see some cuts, and it was the most extravagant, ridiculous performance I've ever seen. There was like hundreds of paper aeroplanes, trampolines, five costume changes, beekeepers' outfits. That, yeah. Just like, oh, it was insane. That's what I'd love to to get into with him. How he. Um kind of springboards all different types of media from the turntables yeah you know it gets into its books it's computer games it's yeah. TV shows it's just everything and I just get the impression that he doesn't compete with anyone else like he just has ideas and chases them down yeah he's got that sort of small town mentality where he's just like there isn't anyone around me that's doing it so what if yeah it was like this oh and buddy piece Oh, okay. Buddy Peace is my, just my favourite. He's a genius. 
that's like an unenviable career of just doing incredible work again and again and again for, you know, like, never necessarily going to blow up because it's niche, but there is so much going on. Like, it's so deep and clever. And he was a good guy at, what was the record shop? Banquet? Yes. Yeah. There are good things about him as a record so, seller uh, as well. What, John First, right? Yeah. Was it, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't praise Buddy Peace enough. Like, some of those mixtapes just... Years later, I'll still be like, oh, you hid that there. Oh, mm. you little Easter egg hiding yeah. bugger. Awesome. Cool. Good stuff. Thanks a lot for your time, Kieran. Um, where can people find you online? Um, Instagram, bab, double B, underscore, Sabbath, and thirdeyesigns.com. And it's Bab Sabbath because it was DJ Baboon. That's right. Why DJ yeah. Baboon? It's sort of lost to the sons of time i think it was briefly uh dexter dextrous <laughs> gladly that one's buried uh yeah i don't actually it was something to do with talking nonsense with my little brothers and we've never quite worked out where it came from but i just stuck with it but i think most people who have a dj name aren't especially proud of it and wouldn't have chosen it as older people but it's just, I, now that's I put, what it is i put a thing on reddit the other day asking what people's DJ names are and why. And I was mm. expecting some really crazy stories. Mm. But there weren't many. They're generally quite some people don't want reasons. to share their terrible ones. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I like this and I like this. Yeah. Anyway, cool. let you go, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Lovely. Cheers. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Once a DJ podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback or any suggestions for guests, please just get in touch with us at onceadjpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at onceadjpodcast. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Oh, that was nice.